Welcome to the Trail Less Traveled. Missoula is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and read more about this week's show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Mandela. Today the Trail Less Traveled leads to the coast. We are at Barubin Point, and we have a beautiful 360-degree view. Looking south, I can see the Glasshouse Mountains. When I look to the east, I can see the ocean and a beautiful golden coastline, and then surrounded by bush. We're at Barubin Point, which is a location that is very sacred and would have been used to help send signals to surrounding tribes. I'm here on location with Alex Bond. Alex, first of all, thank you so much for your time and energy and joining me here today on the Trail Less Traveled. No problem. Alex, could you just tell us, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? My mother was an Aboriginal activist from the 50s and around in the Brisbane area in, in Queensland. She was an Aboriginal woman. My father's from a white farming family out near Dolby in Maryvale, Cecil Plains. And they met in Brisbane fell in love and my father was at the time training at this uh, South Pacific Administrative College and was training to be a patrol officer up in Papua New Guinea. So I grew up the first 10 years of my life in um, the highlands of Papua New Guinea, coming down on holidays, you know, once yearly with my family, sometimes on my own, visiting my family at Cherbourg and at Dolby. So the first 10 years of my life was living in Papua New Guinea but travelling here and coming down with my family. Then when we moved down here, we moved to Brisbane for a while, Dad being a senior public servant. He was seconded and travelled different regions of Queensland. So I grew up a bit in Brisbane, in the southeast Queensland area, then Bundaberg for a while at Bernard Heads, then Townsville for a period of time, and then Roma, and then Townsville again. But then I ended up leaving Roma and moving to Sherberg for a period of time, which is an Aboriginal community an hour's west drive of uh, Gympie, but it's part of my ancestral homeland. So, so from where Sherberg is in the South Burnett to Brisbane is my ancestral homeland uh, across to Maraburra, which is further up the coast. And all those lands in between I have ancestral connections too. I'm a descendant of Fred Embry, who was considered last chief and known by them old people that way. Fred Embry, whose name was old Yabba. But when we come back from Papua New Guinea, travelling around, my mother would tell me stories about different landscapes that we'd go to, like Bribey Island, and tell me the story about Dundalee and how he was from up here and he was our ancestor from up this way, the Bunyan Mountains, but he went to Bribey Island and led a resistance against the colony in Brisbane, the penal settlement, back in the 1840s and 50s. So travelling around, my mother told me stories a bit about my ancestors and my grandfather and my great-grandfather and that so I had a pretty good upbringing that way educationally for my mother and on my father's side as far as I grew up knowing different many different cultures as well and and growing up with Javanese people and Torres Strait Islanders and Russian and people from different cultures 
more so than my relatives because my father was a assistant district commissioner, commissioner for Crown Lands with the Australian government. He was an, an official, a white man. Uh, my cousins my own age, they would grow up, say, at Cherbourg under the Act. So I was fortunate that way that I didn't grow up under the Act as my cousins did who were the same age as me. Uh, that Act was then rescinded, stopped in, say, 1975. We had more rights. So it's only since 1975 that my cousins sort of came out from under that so-called protection of the governments of Australia. So, yeah, I, I spent a time back with my people, my family at Sherberg, and from there I've moved to Bribie, lived on Bribie Island, Caboolture, Mullaney, different parts of my ancestral homeland getting to know the place and travel the back roads and learn a bit more about them and see that country and those parts that my mother told me about that I had never been to before. So I pursued that interest that my mother sort of injected into me in relation to my Aboriginal culture. And so, you know, I've been involved in that, the politics of it and the cultural side and aspect of my culture since... I was little, but more so, you know, when I become a young man. So I become more proactive in the political sphere, which isn't a very good place to be for a person over an extended period of time, politics, and trying to fight for some rights to be recognised, which now under the Native Title Act of Australia is impossible because the Native Title Act has been constructed to dismantle Native Title and to destroy it. And I suppose I come in part point of my life where it's like looking uh, over the abyss and, and watching how the Native Title Act is set up and watching what opportunities we had after Mabo to what opportunities have been crushed and destroyed because of the Native Title Act. So to me, the Native Title Act is an anti-Mabo decision act. It flips everything what Mabo went through, the process and everything, flips it and allows for the destruction of native title. Just getting political, but it's important that people understand that when my mob sign on to a native title claim and sign up as applicants, one of the first things they have to sign away is are their native title rights to get a registered application in. So what they do is have to sign away the rights that they may possibly be able to get if they took on a common law native title claim and spent four or five years pursuing it. So the way the Act has been designed is to destroy what opportunities we have, hence the registration process. To be registered, you first must sign away your native title rights, but then being registered gives you some opportunity to sit at the table with certain bureaucrats to discuss issues such as fishing, access to certain areas, which I suppose any Australian or any tourist to Australia can obtain mm-hmm. if they attempted to and sat down at the table. So really what we end up with is no rights at all. So I come back here to the country to live, you know, and live up in my country. This is my traditional country. This is my skin country. When I talk about skin, I'm talking about my social section and according to my traditional Cubby Cubby culture, because this is Cubby Cubby country and I have Cubby Cubby heritage and my skin, I'm Balgunj, I'm a Balgunj man. These are the things my mum taught me when I was a kid. She was a Barang woman. 
like a grandfather, her father's father, and I'm a Balgunsh man because my mother, she was a Barang woman. So being a Balgunsh man or a Balgunsh person, as a woman is a Balgunsh gun, which is a female Balgunsh, I have a spiritual obligation to quite a number of landscapes and landmarks around through this country here. So my skin country, which is a little different than my tribal country, is, say, from Imbul to Tugulua, okay? But the people, the tribe that's down south of Tugulua and a bit of the way up, they are what's known as Dungibara. So that's my skin country. So that Dungibara people over there who are Balgunj, and I'm Balgunj here, they come to my country here for business because we share that business and I go to their country to share that business. So our tribal associations are slightly different than our skin associations and that's probably part of the reason why we've never invaded another people's country is because we've got brothers in that country and sisters and we're all related according to the totems because I'm Balgunj man, I have certain totems. I belong to thunder, I belong to fresh water, I belong to frog, green tree frog, I belong to brown carp, goanna, you know, that's part of my brotherhood and sisterhood. So, you know, my brothers are crows, my sisters are crows. Our relationship to the environment and that really, in a strong way, relates to our skin and our totem rather than our tribe. You know, so this is what gets mixed up here with my mob because they've all been cut off from a good education. So they don't understand this other tenure, these other layers of being a cubby-cubby, but it's not just that, it's being bulgunj, it's being crow, it's being carpet snake, it's being these totems as well, and the obligations that we have. See, even though I come from cubby-cubby and that fella down there, he's Dungibara, we're both brothers. We call each other brother because we're brothers, even though he belongs to another tribe, yeah. and I belong to this tribe. So if there's a fight going on between tribes, we don't fight each other. We sit down when, when he stands up, I'll sit down. When I stand up, he'll sit down, and that's how it goes. That's the spiritual side of things when we got our teachers. So with this place here would be important to my Balgunj, Balgunj skin and, and that Moiri Kopaitan. So the other skin that belongs on my side, on my half, is Barang, my mother. Barang, she gave birth to me, so I'm Balgunj on her half, but it belonged to the other quarter. And the other two quarters, my sons are Terwan, so they belong to the opposite quarter. And my wife, she's Banda, because she gave birth to my sons. They're Terwan, you know? Mm-hmm. So I married Banda, but my sons are Terwan. When they marry, they have children. Their children are Balgunj like me. So that when their children grow up, they belong to me. They don't belong to my son or my son's wife. Under spiritual, under totem and skin law and everything, that boy, when he turns 13, 14, he belongs to me and my brothers. And I'll take him, I'll bring him to this hill, and I'll tell him the stories, and I'll tell him about that point and that mountain and that ancestor and these things he'll learn from me, not, not his father, because he's my younger brother and I'm his elder brother. And in those instances, in the spiritual sense, at these times he'll call me elder brother and I'll call him younger brother. He won't call, you know, so that's a, a bond that we have. So our connections are with our father's father and our son's son and our mother's mother and our daughter's daughter. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how it will roll in our ways and the connection with the next generation and the generation before the generation is our, what we call Mimburi, our cycle, our way. But a lot of that's broken down now. So, you know, it's important. I work hard to try to address that cultural issue, that cultural issue with state government, with policy or with community, with the sovereign grannies and that, you know, is about the importance of these roles that we have that we can have back, you know if we can identify with these things and set up a system that worked well for tens of thousands of years. A lot of our systems are very similar to the American Indian people. We didn't talk to our mother-in-law, and when we went hunting and we got a good piece of meat, the best part of that meat I would give to my mother-in-law, but I would never give it directly to my mother-in-law. I'd give it to someone who gave it to someone who gave it to someone who gave it to her to cleanse that meat of me to her. And we never look at each other in the eyes, and if we're in the same camp, we'll have our backs to each other. That's similar to old ways over there, and smoke signals. Also, when we're walking through other people's country in the old way, we'd walk single file. Part of our law is when mob walking through single file, you can't attack. That means they're just passing through. If we fan out, that's a sign of aggression. Now, that's another similar thing as in America where the term Indian file, walking Indian file, comes from. Mm -hmm. That's where that comes from. But we used to walk that Indian file as well. Mm -hmm. I think because when Captain Cook came here and the first English people came here, they called us Indians. Indians, as in the American Indians. Mm -hmm. They give us the same name. The Indians of Australia, not the Indians of India. We had similar headdresses and things that aren't really shown today. So there's a lot of things that we can bring back that are great, visually beautiful and, you know, to show how we could have looked. But these things don't happen, you know, much nowadays. It's sort of almost a relic culture for tourism and things like that, uh, which is quite sad. But, you know, music and songs were very important in our culture. That's why I say my great-grandfather, Fred Embry, Yabba, he was a song man. He made up corroborees from people's dreams. They have a dream, they go to him, he'll turn that dream into a song. And it's a popular one, and he's a good song man, that song, that dream will travel in that song down those trails and can travel all the way into Central Australia if it's a really good corroboree and really good song mm -hmm. and made very well. It can travel all the way around Australia, that dream in that song, along those trails and um, thoroughfares. But my great-grandfather, his corroboree was Gary Nanami, which is the most popular corroboree round that's sung by many people, Gary Nanami. And literally, Gary Nanami means Gary is here, Nanami, I am sitting. So Gary Nanami, here I am sitting. Jojo Mobirunu, on the flat country. Ngayu Marangmai, I'm going back home. Ngayangu Nguyangu, to my country. So that's the translation of Gary Nanami. Although it's quite sad that today a lot of people sing it and dance it, but they do not understand the literal translation of it. But even though I've given you a literal translation, there's a story within that story. It's about a dream a fellow had. So, you know, there's another interpretation within the English translation. So, you know, I've grown up with all this stuff, and that's why I look around this country and I, I love it. It's really sad that 
the land management practices and the lack of regulation from the state and federal governments in relation to looking after the land and the rivers and the creeks because they're very important. That is the voice of Alex Bond, and you are on the trail as traveled. We are recording right now on Kabi Kabi Country, and Alex, it's now time for a song. So is there a song that reminds you of where you come from? I don't know many originals. I'd like to just play tunes that sound nice, and I make words up to them. So I'll sort of improvise a tune. Okay. Okay? So, doing tune, should be in tune. made up but I pinched it from Nine Inch Nails riff because it's you not know, a Johnny Cash one, you know, the Empire Dirt I sort of pinched it a little bit of that flow because it, you know Johnny Cash is a great guy really great guy and Nine Inch Nails did a really good thing with him um, so I've sort of changed the words to sort of fit context of something so here we go it's just something I made up one night is gone But he still lives on He lives on in his song Garen and Nami Jojo Mobiruno Ngayong Marangma My boss lives out He lives out in his song Old Jabba Old Fred Embry Nova. The cubby cubby, my boss is gone, but he still is out. He lives out in his song. I'm Garin and Nami, Jojo Moberonu. Ngayong marangma Ngayong go Ngayong go My boss is gone But he still lives out Oh yeah, boy You're nova Song man of the cubby cubby My boss is gone But he still is on Yeah. 
you are on the trail less traveled, recorded on location on Kabi Kabi country in Australia on the coast. Alex, we're sitting here at this amazing viewpoint where it took me two buses to get here from the coast and it was an amazing ride through lush country. And this is your land where you live and connect to. But I was wondering if you could paint the picture when you look all around from the Glass Mountains to the coast and tell them what you see and how this country connects to you. You can stand in the centerpiece of this peak, I suppose. It's a rolling hill, rises up. Um, an area of about, let's say, half an acre. Once upon a time, there weren't so many trees. It's a bit tree regrowth, but you could get a full view all around, 360 degrees, with different landmarks, like Kuroi, which is a place just west of Noosa. You have Mujimba Island. Mujimba is senior woman. That's old woman island. And then the shores of Mujimba, which is sacred women's business, very special, strong women's energy in place there at Mujimba. Then we go to the south and we have Mount Me, the Mount Me area. We're looking over towards the Glasshouse, Biwa, Tunba Budla, the twins, a little bit of a tree in the way, but we also have Triplakagan, the father, in relation to the coastal legend, Mikkelty Bumblegrow. We also can see the Pummerstone Passage in Bribey Island. Pummerstone Passage used to be the very important breeding ground for the dugong, which hardly we have any left now, which is a very important meat for us in a very special way. And we have Bald Knob and Melum. Melum, which is a special place, sacred place, especially for clever men, you know, what some people might call shaman or whatever, but Melum is them fellas that, you know, they'll come out, they do damage, they're not the healers, they're the other clever men that'll come and, you know, kill you if, if need be. And so we have all around to the west then, Nanango, we're looking over towards Nanango and Baramba to the west, which is all part of my ancestral homeland and my spiritual connection. Well, I can see beyond it, but I, to the south I can't because there's a big range there. We're at Burulban. Burul, Burul, Burul is a very... It's a um, initiate level, you know. You got Kippa, then you got Burul, then you got Wamuran, and then you've got Bunbun. But these are different statuses in initiation, and so you got a very good view. And we send smoke signals from here. We can send smoke signals all around if we need be, with a certain code pattern to in relation to where we're sending it. Yeah. So this is a very special place to me. I can really sort of look around and look through the valley. Thank goodness. As far as the Mary Valley is concerned, I've had to go back and look at the journals of the first explorer, Ludwig Leichhardt, through here to look at what the land looked like when he travelled through, and it's very much the same as it is now. So what was very pleasing to me, the only difference is that the trees on the hills that he's talking about were ten times the size of the trees on the hill now. They went up and they got all those trees, but they're pretty sort of big hills and the trees have been left there, the regrowths have been left there, so what we have is sort of a very much the same still the ascetic Aboriginal and traditional environment, except the trees are smaller and younger. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I love the, it's, a, it's a place I can travel through and still get that feel, but not for much longer, which is sad. Development, progress, the city's coming over the range. Alex, you were saying that there's so many different similarities between the Indigenous Aboriginal Australians and the First Nation people located in North America, and one of those is the use of smoke signals. 
I just was wanting to ask you about why you would have used smoke signals and also requesting permission before you travel on to another tribe's land. Yeah, well, it's etiquette. And if you want to move forward, Ben, it's, it's at a quick notice you want to send a request out. Usually things are done and planned, and we have the messenger, which we call in our language is called jomga. Jom is a word we use for meat. So my jum is crow, my jum is my totem, my meat, jum. So the messenger is jamga or jungle, and ga means like it's an action word, like walking. So jamga is meat moving, you know, jamga. So jamga means that when he's the, the sacred messenger, he's everyone's totem, everyone's meat. They must respect him, so you can't stop him. If you pull him up and stop him, that's a crime. He's on a job. He mustn't be stopped. Anybody. Because we have a policing system here, you know what I mean? So anyway, word goes out, signals are sent, and there is a coded pattern. One I know of is three plumes up. There's can we come? Two plumes with another third one alongside the second plume coming up is yes, you can. That's one code I do know. The others are lost to me. But we had a system where entry and, and passage and all that. I mean, we had a big network of, um, you know, we had a Kuringal. What's called Kuringal is, Kuringal is what would you say is the best of the best in a region. So the best of the best in a region come together to form what we call police. So the Kuringal are these elders and these chiefs, policemen. So when some young fellas are playing up or there's some crime happen that needs to be dealt with, the senior men will gather around the ring and talk about it, then they'll send these Kuringal out to get him. The Kuringal has the best tracker. The Lungas, right? They've they got the best of the best. And so you can run from the Kuringal for a month or so, but they're always just behind you. And they will get you, and they will bring you back, or they'll bring something back. You know, they might bring a piece back of you if need be. But that's our order. Yeah, we had a sort of regulated process of passing through. We had our main thoroughfares where anybody could walk through, you know, and travel from, let's say, Maribara to Lismore. So there's a trail that goes from Maribara and a main trail that you can follow where it's a safe passage, you know what I mean? But you must be wary and then you must always still be respectful. But usually, depending on your status, how well known you are, how respected you are, the further and easier you can travel. Like, you know, there's a story of the chief of Yelopi. He's travelling to fight the chief Mope, which is part of my mob over in, from the Brisbane Valley, this sort of southern area. And Yelopi, he's from Strati, he's the chief there, but he's picking up, and when he's travelling through, he's picking up the headmen of all these camps. The headmen, the Komoron, he'll be headmen of a camp, and there might be 20 or so that live in that camp, and there might be five, six fighting men. He'll come through, bring your spears, bring your clubs, we're going, and he collected all his headmen, but he made his own way. You know what I mean? But he's from Strati. He went his way and he collected all the headmen along the way to fight this other chief called Mope. Mm-hmm. Mope was over seven foot tall. Yelope was about six foot six. Uh, the descriptions of them, very strong athletic men. Mm-hmm. But Yelope ended up defeating Mope. Yelope ended up being called Bonaparte by the settlement because he fought the British and they put him on an island, but he got away and he went back to Strati. They ended up cutting his head off eventually, tricking him, befriending him and tricking him, and then when he wasn't looking, they pulled out a cutlass behind him and cut his head off when he wasn't looking in a boat. 
But yeah, you know, that's part of our access is, you know, your status, all that. If you're a young fellow and you don't know much and you're still learning, you can't go very far. You travel too far, you could end up dead. But if you're a bit older, you learn and you're keen and you understand, you pick up language and you understand, see, me, I'm Balgunj, but I also know that my name is Bunjur down this way. Balgunj around here, Bunjur down that way, and Bunjur down that way. So if I had to say what I am, I'd say I'm Bunjur. Out west, it's a different mob. I'm a Guri. So we're Guris. We live under a certain system of skin names and that. Over west of Dolby, they're Murrays or Murrays. They've got a different skin names and system. And, but I can still match up with them because I'm Balgunjia. I'd be Wudaru out there. And if I learn that here, then I can go out there because I can identify myself out there. If I can't identify myself with the right people, I'm in trouble. So in a way, our boundary was knowledge. If you didn't learn much, you didn't go far. But if you learned a lot, you could travel all the way to Victoria. And we used to travel to Victoria. We used to travel right out west. We used to travel long distances and come back. And the East Gippsland and all that mob used to come up to the Bunya Mountains and we used to travel down to the eel farms and all that down there. Burke and Bulls weren't the first white men, the first people to cross Australia. We've been crossing the continent for thousands of years, you know, on foot and on missions, on sacred missions and on pilgrimages to sacred places far, far, far away, mm-hmm. yeah. Old fellas I met in Central Desert came down here 22, three years ago. First time they'd been out of the desert. The only place they'd ever been to is Alice Springs. That's the only place. These men were over 90 years of age. Their sixth language was English. And they came down, they wanted to see the big blue, I took them out. You know what I mean? But they were travelling past through the glass house. The old man, the boss man, I was lucky because I had all the skin bosses from the Walby tribe and the two boss men of the cultural business and the science. The old boss men, they go, see them two there? Sacred, strong medicine, Alec. And they laughed. And I looked, because they'd never been here before. But they laughed and they said, Alec, this place in our dreaming, this place in our dreaming, we know this place. So they're educated, they're taught that mm-hmm. in their dreaming and in their songs. They know the glass house, though. They've never been here before. Mm-hmm. And none of their mobs, you know, it's that part of that way and that law hasn't been here for a long time. But there is a connection between that mob in Central Desert and us Cubby Cubby here and us Cubby Cubby here and the Gurnai Kurnai mob and the mob down in Victoria. We're connected and it's in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. Mobilon is the highest point on Bunya Mountains which is Waka Waka which is still part of my heritage, my great-grandfather's mother's side. Uh, Mobilon is sacred to the crow and it's connected with Gippsland as well. That is the voice of Alex Bond and you are on the trail less travelled. We are recording right now in Kabi Kabi country. And Alex, for those listening who think of Australia and don't really realise how large it is, can you tell us a little bit about where exactly we are in terms of the entirety of Australia? Oh, goodness. Well, we're on the east coast of Australia, in the middle of the east coast of Australia, more or less, north of Brisbane, hour and a half north of Brisbane, 120 kilometres north of Brisbane, West of Maroochydore. Maroochydore is part of Cubby Cubby country on the coast. And Noosa, Noosa Heads. And if people know that place as well. Our range in our country is, is quite big. It's a big country as a collective of Cubby Cubby people. So our country runs from North Brisbane to just north of Maryborough, Woodgate. That's quite a distance. That's about a good 400 kilometres. 
roughly 350, 400 kilometres, and then to the west to Mergen, which is about 150 kilometres. So looking at, say, 350 kilometres by 120, 150 kilometres, that's our country. Although, you know what I mean, we're broken up into smaller groups in that skin system. So, yeah, it's a pretty big country we have, and it's the better part of the... As far as I'm concerned, that's my own opinion. It's a bit biased, but it's a really lovely country, nice and lush and, and well-watered, and we've got the bunya trees, the bunya nuts, plenty of food, as the old men said from the desert. Too many goannas, Alex, too many possums. Mm-hmm. You know, the abundance of food around the place. Alex, your teachers, uh, your family, when they told you when you were a child how long your people have been in this country, wh- what did they say? Oh, look, we've been here since time immemorial. Once upon a time, we sort of moved and we've come to the coast from the ice ages where we've had to seek shelter, you know. So we've moved back and forward between it being inland and to the coast for tens of thousands of years. As far as I know, the oldest dating nearby, you know, is about 35,000 years. That's sort of to the northwest of us. It can be older, you know what I mean, but I can't put a date on it. I just know it's thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, that's it. And this place where we're sitting right now used to be a spot where smoke signals were sent. How long ago do you think it was the last time a smoke signal was sent from this place? Oh, that would have been in the 18, say, 50s, 1860s, the last smoke signals would have been sent from here, the last ones. So we had a big frontier war here. So it started in Brisbane at the Penal Settlement. It actually started at Redcliffe where they tried to set up the first one. But my people from Barambub up Sherberg, when we went down there, they killed quite a few of them and then they fled into Brisbane where it was a bit more friendlier and the environment was a lot bit more lush and well watered. But So we, our war started with them in late 1820s and finished in 1867, say. Could be 1861 at Hornet which is in the Dawson River. So the Frontier War was actually us fighting, all our fighting men, fighting women all the way back, and it ended up in another tribe's country on the Dawson River. Um, that was Cubby Cubby. So, yeah, about 1860s. Early 1860s was last business. and uh, They had the last borer run up here in 1874. It was the last Bora run that they had from the mouth of the Mary right up to the headwaters here. So all around through all these hills that you see down in the headwater country is ceremonial. Mm-hmm. So each peak and each point is significant to a group. You know, like I'm Crow, so I'll go there, and Eagle Hawk over there, and Black Snake over there, or whatever. So mm-hmm. each one, and we have big times of ceremony, we might all have our ceremony pretty simultaneously all around the same time and gather down there in Conondale on the flats around there. Mm-hmm. The 1874's last sort of Bora run, where the Buru would run with the Wamurans and the Bunbuns and pick up all the boys and bring them up the river to be initiated mm-hmm. and initiate them up the river here. You know, that was the last one done here. Yeah, so, about 1860s. All right, Alex, it's time for another song. Is no. there a song that comes to mind that you want to play now? Um, I can't play one. Um, I think I might play one. Uh, play my little one. I'll play... Uh... I'll play... Uh... Let's see. I'll play an old American one, eh? I'll play uh, the, the 
it's you know, I'm going to play it in 12-bar blues, I'm going to play it in the blues way, though. It's not how it's originally played. But um, it's one of my favourites, I sing it as a kid. Left a good job in the city Working for a man every night and day I never lost a minute of sleep Worrying that things might have been And big wheel keep on tenor Proud Mary keep a burning Rolling, rolling, rolling on a river I watched a lot of plates in Memphis I bought a lot of pain in New Orleans Never saw the good side of that city it hits the ride on a riverboat queen And big wheel keep on turning Proud mirror keep a burning Rolling, rolling, rolling on the river afternoon the trail less traveled leads to eastern australia we are recording on location on the edge of a creek in the central part of eastern australia we're about a 150 k's north of brisbane and i'm here with alex bond we are on the land of the cubby cubby people alex i was wondering if you could tell us where we are now we were just a moment ago on the top of a beautiful mountain overlooking all the land where smoke signals would have been sent potentially hundreds of thousands of years ago. But now we're sitting on the edge of a creek. There's no wind. We're surrounded by thick forest and this a beautiful sound of birds and insects around us. But can you just tell us a little bit about where we are right now recording? We're beside an old pathway and it was one of the easier ones to come from the coast down where we were looking towards Bribey and the Glasshouse, up to where we were, and on into the Mary Valley. This part 
it's still part of my country. It's starting to go into another skin country very shortly. And that skin country belongs to my children. They're Terwan or Jarawain, their skin. So I'm on the edge of mine. We're getting close to theirs. The pathway here once was even travelled by explorer Ludwig Leichhardt when he came up looking through the area in 1843, so I've had actually an opportunity to read those excerpts from his diary. It's a very important, very special place, as you can tell. Because it's a local area, I won't sort of go into mentioning where it is, just because the locals like to keep it as their little place. But it's a very important pathway that we're sitting beside. I showed you really old artefacts that have come out of the creek bank here that are thousands of years old, you know, you could say seven, eight, nine, ten thousand year old artefacts coming out. So, you know, this place has been continually used as a trail, still is today. It's a beautiful part of the country. We're on the coastal fringe almost, we're going down to the glasshouse from here. We're halfway down the range. This creek that we're on filters and feeds into the Stanley River which then feeds into the Brisbane River. So the water that's flowing here is the water that the people in Brisbane will drink. This water here, but up here it's less tainted. It's as pure as you get. As it goes down, it gets tainted I suppose with fertilizers, whatever, whatever. But um, we're at the point of the creek where it's quite pure. It's a lovely spot. Alex, I'd like to ask you how Australia has changed from when Captain Cook arrived. In our past, this is one thing that has to be sort of, I suppose, uh, explained, is that the Chinese had come here. They came and we traded a few things with them. The Macassans came here, well, not so far south, but Macassans came to the north part of Australia. Spanish, French, other nations had came here temporarily just to look and whatever, but the British came and stayed. A lot of changes occurred. If you look at old photos of where we are and, and the country surrounding from 1890, say, eight you would see that there's hardly a single tree on the mountains. So what we have here is a lot of regrowth, what you're looking at, the trees, and some of them are quite large now, but they're only, you know, if anything, 100-year-old, 120-year-old are larger ones. But prior to colonisation here, the trees, you know, reached a great age and were very, very big trees. We have our famous, what we know as a bunya pine, the bunya tree, bonyi, we call it bonyi. In my life, I can only quote what I know and what I see in my time, is some quite large bunya trees around, but in the diaries of the missionaries that came here that my people sent for the missionaries to come up to look at land to turn into a, a farming mission for our people. So when they came up, they sighted their first big bunya tree and one of our people climbed the tree and got a big bunya pot off it, it came down. But the size of the bunya nut within that pod was the size of a fist. Now the size of the pod nuts we have now are not that size at all. They're quite small compared. So 
those bunya trees back then were said where they were over 150 feet high and around 20 feet in the girth so they were very big trees a lot of environmental damage has occurred but the good thing about around here in Mullaney is that you've got people who really care more about revegetation and regeneration and you have um, Barung land, land Care here which the name is the same as my mother's moiety again social section but they've done a lot of pretty good work in revegetating and looking after the country so once upon a time I've read the diaries of the first explorer here just to look at what the layout of the land was and the, it was the description of the layout of the land was open grassland around the river and the banks and well treed up in the hills now that hasn't changed the only difference is that the trees that were once there when that explorer went through were very big trees what's there now are rather smaller trees but they're at least 50 60 year old so it does retain its aesthetic value to me that's a good thing in a way something that's rescued something that we can bring back something to look at but there is still a lot of environmental damage that occurs down these creeks due to bad land use management practices but also the lack of regulation by the various governments in making sure that we have clean creeks and clean rivers it reflects exactly what's happened with the Murray River where the millions of fish caught over 100 year old dying and just wasting away and dying, you know, and that's a tragedy because at the mouth, at the very head of that tributary, that catchment is the Condamine River and it's dammed for a cotton farm. And the amount of water in that dam that they've made there has in as much water as Sydney Harbour. Now, if that water was allowed to flow, those fish wouldn't have died. And there would have been a fresh bit of flow of water but because the water's been held and it's not been allowed to flow down because of a cotton farm millions of fish die and that's a real tragedy it's a very dark day in Australian politics Australian governance you know the Murray River that's a very important tributary to a lot of Aboriginal people not just people who live along it people live nearby it and it was our way to travel so a lot of damage has been done. A lot of that's due to vested interests. Like a lot of the white Australians that came out here, the first ones were convicts. They were, they were prisoners of a society themselves, you know what I mean? A lord and servant type society. We didn't have that society over here. Everybody got respect through hard work. And if you worked hard and you did a lot of favours for people, you're a well-respected individual, and that's all that mattered. Mm -hmm. But in England, it wasn't like that. You had a lord, and, you know, some of them white people that came here, the convicts, were sent over here because they shot the lord's rabbit on a bit of land because their family was starving in the little place. But then they, they got transported here wow. to a land of plenty. And the reason why there was land of plenty is because our people managed the environment so that we could get plenty and that meant looking after nature because nature provided us with the food mm -hmm. so our laws revolved around that mm -hmm. you know one of our laws is Mimburi and the, the law of Mimburi is keeping cycles so I'll give you an example 
it's a very fundamental strong law. It's an environmental law almost. It, it encompasses all aspects of our life. And Mimburi would be like, when a freshwater catfish is nesting, that's in the month of November, and if you catch a catfish, you put him back in the water because usually there's a lot of males and there's a few females and what happens is the male catfish will build a nest and he'll build a nice nest and if it's good enough and it impresses the female, they will mate and she'll leave eggs there and then she'll travel up the river and find another nest and she'll just continue going and laying eggs at different nests and then the male protects the eggs and protects the little ones when they hatch from the eggs and to a point where they can go and live on their own. And so the male will protect that nest and the eggs from the shrimp. The shrimp love it and the yabbies are go for it. So it protects them mostly from them. Mm-hmm. So if you're caught catching one and let's say if you didn't throw it back and someone saw you, the punishment could be quite severe because you're told not to. So you already know you're not supposed to. So if you do that, you could get a broken arm. They will hold you down in front of everyone and then they'll gather the camp around and explain what happened and then they'll break your arm in front of everyone and tell everyone you will not catch. And if you do catch a catfish and then you let it back in the water because that's a mimburi, the cycle continuing that nest, that one nest provides a lot of fish for the creek and so does the other one and the other one so we do not interfere with that that's mimburi and to the point where you can get a broken arm and if you go and do it again it can be death you could be killed after they break your arm and you want to do it again they will kill you that's how strong that environmental law was in relation to the food sources much respect you know so that law didn't equate anything, that notion or whatever, to the English. They just thought we were savages walking around, you know. They didn't understand that, because English are more or less Romans, you know what I mean? We all live in a Roman society, can't deny that. Romans in cars and Romans in jets, you know. It's still a Roman society that Aborigines have to live under. Sadly enough, a lot of my people are sort of over a number of generations get caught up in that Roman society and then, sorry to say, but then look through Western eyes. They're Westernised to look through Western eyes. And that's important that a lot of our young ones and people can get those old eyes again from them old people. And the only way they can do that is learn it but for them to understand it, they've got to choose to learn it. Mm-hmm. And that can be a hard thing. Yeah. Mm. Alex, I feel like that ties in greatly with this concept of being able to live with the land and animals for hundreds of thousands of years. Mm. And in some parts of the world, the idea is living on the land and animals, but living with them in yeah. harmony. Yeah, well, our totem system, everything was about that. Let's say... I'm carpet snake. I'm a particular type of carpet snake. I'm Wong-Ai carpet snake. Now, because that's my totem, and that's what I'm born into, say, we are designated a totem too at the time of initiation that fits with our personality and the animals that relate to us and 
we get that totem bestowed upon us by our elders. But if I'm born of a Wongai carpet snake, all Wongai carpet snakes are my family. They are literally my brothers and sisters. And under traditional law and system, everybody knows this law back then, is if some men, let's just say they're kangaroo, red kangaroo totem, they see a Wongai carpet snake, they're hungry, they want to eat, they like to eat that snake, but there's a few of us Wongai carpet snake there, they know not to kill that snake in front of us, because the moment they kill our brother or our sister, that snake, we'll pick up our arms and we'll have war with them because they broke a law of respect. That's our brother that they're going to kill and eat. In that old way, it's like someone grabbing, let's say you had a daughter, and killing your daughter and eating your daughter in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's the same feeling and relationship that they had. We, you know what I mean? It's very hard for people who don't come from that system and understanding to understand that. Yeah. But that's how they saw it. That that snake was them. They were that snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were just the two-legged version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the voice of Alex Bond, and we are recording the trail has travelled on location on the edge of a creek which will remain secret <laughs> on the eastern coast of Australia, about 1,500 kilometres north of Brisbane. Alex, thank you so much for joining me here on location on the edge of this creek on the trail has travelled. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Let's end your first show with three bits of advice on life for the listener. I suppose, think twice, act once. If you want to learn, go in as a child. If you want to learn about things, go in as a child, not knowing anything. And the third would be, love your mother. Namaste, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure radio series and podcast dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from some of the most remote locations around the world. The show premieres every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time. You can stream it live online at trail1033.com. The podcast is free and available on all platforms. You can follow the show as it's recorded on location by visiting the official website, traillesstraveled.net. My adventure tip this week is in regards to the sun while traveling in Australia. The hole in the ozone layer is a real big deal down there, and the sun is actually stronger. So when you're in Australia, make sure you cover up. Put some zinc on your nose. And also, beer's a little bit more expensive there than you might think. So make friends with someone who home brews. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, get outside and do something for Mother Earth. And also... Shred the gnar. Because you know, the thing about the gnar is, it does not shred itself. <laughs> <laughs>